What's good, everyone, and welcome to a brand new edition of the Windy City Hoops Podcast. I am your host, Chris Rouse, coming to you from my hometown of Chicago, Illinois, getting ready to talk pretty much everything Chicago basketball, specifically with the Windy City Bulls and the Chicago Bulls. Also, in this week's episode for January episode episode for January 15th, 2020, I'm going to talk about some standouts in the NBA, specifically some teams going streaking. Also going to talk about some standout performances that I saw on last night, January the 14th in the NBA. But this week, I'm going to start things out talking about the most recent WNBA collective bargaining agreement. But before we get into that, it is Martin Luther King's birthday, the actual date of birth, January 15th, 2000. Today is January 15th, 2020, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the NBA, of course, with MLK Day coming up on Monday, going to have some huge matchups, including our very own Chicago Bulls taking, well, my very own Chicago Bulls taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. And MLK Day to me is sort of like one of the four, like, one of the four four major nba regular season dates you got opening night of course then there's christmas day then i think mlk day is third and then the fourth one i think is actually the um thursday after the all-star break because it's like a reset on the season some of some sorts it's like that final is like the final stretch run to the nba playoffs so those are to me those are like the four major dates some would say um some some would probably say the final day of the NBA season, but to me, that's always been like sort of a day where everything is already set in stone. Because honestly, the the only memorable final night of the season I can I can really think of was the one when the Warriors went like seventy three and nine, and then that was also the same night where Kobe had his his final game and he had sixty points against Utah. So to me, the final night of the season is usually kind of just a all right. Well, we it's, it's kind of like the destination, but it's not really. It's not really as big as like how it is when you say you drive somewhere and you finally get there. It's like, oh, great relief. It's like, okay, finally we got there. Net what's next because the playoffs is coming up next. So for me, like the, the final day of the season is kind of – it's important, but it's never really been like one of the major four dates on the calendar uh, to me personally. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at KingRouse21, K-I-N-G-R-O-U-S-E 21 on Twitter. Also that on Instagram, you can get the this, the Windy City Hoops podcast here. You can get it here either on Apple Music, you can get it on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. This is the Windy City Hoops podcast, and let's get into the topics of conversation. I, last week, I tried to keep it under 90 minutes, and then I ended up going over 90. You know what? I'm just going to forget timestamps. I'm just going to go out here, say what I need to say, and then keep on moving forward. And starting off with what I need to say, I'm actually, it's going to be ladies first. I'm going to talk about the WNBA this week. Uh, yesterday, the WNBA announced their uh, new collective bargaining agreement. It was actually Commissioner Kathy Engelbert and President of the uh, WNBA PA, uh, Neko Ogumake. They announced that the WNBA will have a new collective bargaining agreement that personally I, personally I think has been well overdue because now the WNBA players are going to get their fair share of the uh, revenue for the WNBA, the biggest some of the biggest things that came out of that collective bargaining agreement yesterday was the um, new 50-50 split. It's going to be a 50-50 revenue split 
for the owners and the WNBA players or the presidents of the WNBA teams and the WNBA players. That will begin in 2021. The players previously only received a 20% cut. So but now they're going to now they're going to receive a 50-50% revenue split. And that's really going to help with the that's really going to help with the increase of WNBA player the salaries of WNBA players. Players now can make up to $500,000 and it is for the first time in the league's history the average player salary will reach triple digits. It's slated to reach around the $130,000 mark as an average salary for WNBA players. Now, I know a lot of people probably listen to that and think that's that's peanuts compared to the NBA, but for the WNBA, that's a, that's a huge step in the right direction. It's, it really is a huge step. And even the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert herself, she even said, you know, the way for the league to the one way for the league to grow you got to pay your players, and that's a that's a great step in the right direction because you got to think about when you see some because we have access to everything nowadays. When you see the salaries that a guy like a LeBron James gets, and then you think about players like Candace Parker and Maya Moore, and think they they, they weren't even scratching five hundred thousand dollars, is is really interesting. It's like it's really like wow, that's such a huge gap. And I know some will say, well, you know, they don't the WNBA doesn't bring in that kind of revenue or they don't they don't bring that they don't bring in that much attendance. But even still, a star player is a star player. A star player should be paid. I don't care if it is a man or a woman. So for the WNBA, they should get they should get the highest amount possible of the WNBA revenue. So now giving them a 50 50 split, I believe that this collective bargaining does agreement does just that for the WNBA players. There were some other provisions into the collective bargaining agreement. It's something that I really I really thought were interesting. They really have the uh the new player care initiatives where players with their uh will have their salaries paid if they go on maternity leave maternity leave maternity leave. I cannot talk for some reason this afternoon. They will have <laughs> they'll get paid if they go on maternity leave. And when you hear a player like Skylar Diggins who says she played through the whole season pregnant you have to think like maybe that played a part in it. She thought, "Hey, if I sit out, I'm probably not gonna get my get my money, and I got a kid I got to take care of." I think that that's a great provision. I remember when I was younger, I think Lisa Leslie, I believe it was Lisa Leslie, had to miss a full season because she was pregnant. And now for the WNBA to sort of protect their players, like you would see with other other pro leagues where a, a player gets hurt, I think that that's really a great that's really a great move for the WNBA and I'm I mean I try to, I try to cover the WNBA a little bit I mean I see some sky games but then see the thing about the WNBA comes on in the summer and I'm usually doing a lot of baseball work so I don't see as many games as I would like to see but I think this is really great for the WNBA moving forward they also added the provision that players that already have children will be provided a two-bedroom apartment during the season They've added enhancements on the mental health and wellness program so to so for players to take care, you know, take care of their bodies as long as well as also being able to get any get mentally right for the court, so to speak. You know, because I mean if you're a mother and you can't see your kids all season, I would assume that that will weigh on you. I mean, I don't have kids, but I would assume that if I if I had a kid and I had to work all season, and I couldn't really talk to my kid, that that would really weigh on me. And now, now I know being a parent is equal, but for mothers, I think it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit more, it's a little bit different because, I mean, 
at least for me, I mean, I mean, I know my father, he worked and my mother worked. But when you think about it, your mother is like your ma typically the main nurturer of a family. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to get into this whole mother, mother, father who does more for the child debate. But I'm just saying, when you really think about it, a mother is more of a nurturer of a child and a father is more, say, a provider. So, you know, that's that's just always been my interpret interpretation of uh, of raising a child. My personal per interpretation, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just saying what I think. So I think that's huge that the WNBA is really looking after really looking after their players and trying to help them, not not just them, but also help them with their families. And then I also thought um, one last one, this is maybe the, the most minor of all of them, but the, the idea that they're going to have now players will have premium flights and they no longer have to share hotel rooms in the WNBA. And that's something that as an af that as me as a player, not a player, as a commentator sitting on the outside, I'm not really thinking about that too much. But then when you really think about it, you're like, man, that is something that <laughs> that maybe the players really would enjoy, you know, just having your own room. You have your own privacy. You don't have to room together anymore. So and sometimes, you know, if you have if you've ever had a roommate. Like you may you may get along with that roommate, but you also have those things that you like to do on your own or, you know, you have, sometimes you just want a long time. You want to be away from people. And I think that that's key for the WNBA. Sometimes it can really help. It could possibly help players, you know, sort of clear their mind if they feel like oh, I got some I got a breath of fresh air. I got my own personal space. I can sit alone and I can, you know, mentally prepare for whatever I got going on, either in my personal life or for the next upcoming game, which some play some people are like that. I mean, I know. I, Personally, when it comes to commentating, I like to I like to be alone. I like to be alone so I can get ready for the game, get my game notes right, get my facts right, make sure I got everything that I need, and then I go I go out and do my show. That's 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 how some pe some people are just different like that. And I think for the WNBA with this collective collective bargaining agreement, they've really done a great job of looking out for their players. And as as uh, the commissioner Engelbert said, you got to take care of your players. And one way to take care of the players, you got to pay them. And now you got to look out for them, and I and I look forward to seeing how this w, this uh, collective bargaining agreement uh, affects the WNBA moving forward. Uh, one last one last thing announced in the WNBA. This is more so about uh, game schedule. They they're doing something that that the NBA is flirting with. They're going to have an in season tournament. It's going to be called the Commissioner's Cup Tournament. The uh, WNBA schedule will be released tomorrow. Tomorrow being Thursday, January sixteenth. And they're going to have more on that when they release the schedule. So I'm really interested to see how they do it because they, being the WNBA, could lay the blueprint for what the NBA is trying to do. The NBA is going to try to have an in-season tournament. They're claiming that it's going to be a money tournament in the WNBA, which is something that we've heard in past weeks with the NBA. Personally, personally, I think I'm more of a purist. I would prefer not to do the NBA, not to do an in-season tournament. I would rather just see personally just see 82 games or if if they had to change anything maybe cut the schedule down to about 70 take out april essentially because those last games like i said that last month of the season to me it really just kind of feels like all right well we know who's in the playoffs it's just a matter of seeding and I, I would think for the nba moving forward if they just take out that last month of the season that would be huge for them but the nba is also talking about going with a mid-season tournament and i think the wnba could sort of be something like an extension of the G League, maybe, for the NBA in this situation. How a lot of the rules in the a lot of the rules in the NBA that they test out, I've seen them firsthand test them out in the G League, like with the shot clock resetting to fourteen, 
the uh, challenges. That's that's something that was already in the in the G League the past few years. They haven't quite got to the end season tournament thing yet. But maybe the WNBA could sort of lay the blueprint for the for the NBA and possibly could be could be sort of like the breeding ground of that idea. Like, all right, this is how it worked in the WNBA. Let's try it in the G League next year. And then moving forward, we'll, we'll possibly see it in the NBA. I've made it known I'm not a fan of the uh, – I know this is more about the NBA, but I'm not a fan of the uh, the one free throw for two points or the one free throw for three points rule in the, in the G League. I mean, I'd rather just see old-fashioned just shoot one, 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 one free throws all for one if I had to. In the uh, NBA, I, w I really hope that that one doesn't carry over. I mean, they claim game times have shortened, but I think really the they haven't really shortened until like the last month because I remember earlier in the season in the G League, the uh, free throws with the new free throw rule, the games were still ending about the same time. They were still ending, say the game started at 7, it was still ending about 9, 9, 15. The games are starting to shorten up a little bit. They're now ending more at 9 on the dot as opposed to the 9, 15. But personally, I'm just... Personally, I'm not a fan of the one free throw for two points or the one free throw for three points rule. And then on top of that, it switches back in the final two minutes in. You see a lot of players flying in for rebounds. It's like, wait a minute, you still got the other free throw. We're going back to the um, traditional way in which free throws are shot. But going back to the uh, WNBA, but I really, I really, I'm really a fan of this uh, collective bargaining agreement and how they're taking, trying to take care of their players. They're trying to look out for them, not just on a professional level, but also on a personal level. And now they're also sort of trying to do the uh, Commissioner's Cup tournament, which will likely be the blueprint for what the NBA is going to try to do. And I'm just looking forward to see how this influences women's basketball moving forward and how it could also end up carrying over to the NBA and the, and the uh, NBA G League. Uh, before I get into the NBA, I actually was watching some college games last night. I saw... Um, I saw parts of Oklahoma, Kansas. I actually didn't finish watching that one. I actually don't even know who won that game. I never even checked up on the score because I'm also a wrestling fan. After, like, I went out and got something to eat, and I came back, and I started watching um, a couple of my favorite wrestling shows, which is uh, NWA Power and uh, AEW Dart. So I didn't actually check the final of that Oklahoma, Kansas game. But when I was looking at it, Kansas was winning. I know they were without um, the Big 12 leading scorer, Devon Dotson. In that ball game, actually, now while I'm while I'm sitting here talking, I'm sort of going to stall for time and try to um, get the final score of that game because I, I just don't like being unprepared like that. Even though <laughs> I wasn't planning on talking about the game that I didn't finish watching, but Kansas did end up winning, 66-52. Kansas, is the number six team in the country, 13 turn 13 and three now. But the two games that I did see in full, I saw uh, Clemson versus Duke. And Clemson pulled off a huge upset, I mean, record-wise, because they gave Duke their second loss of the season, led by John Newman III, who had a huge game. He had, he, was hitting, he had a number of shots down the stretch of that ball game that were kind of questionable. But he like, he had, like Clemson broke a press in, like, the final minute, and he was standing open in the left corner, and he fired a three. He, he splashed it, but it was one of those, no, 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 it's swish. Oh, yeah, good shot, John Newman, <laughs> type threes. And then he had a play later, like not too long after that, he got the ball in the opposite corner. And really all Clemson had to do was pull the ball back out, waste some time. And he drove baseline and ended up scoring. And it was, again, like one of those, what are you doing type plays, And he, but he ended up scoring. So it worked out for the best. But Clemson ended up winning the game, 79-72. The fans stormed the court 
at a was it Little John Coliseum, if I remember if I'm remembering correctly. Uh John Newman third had fourteen points down the stretch. He he really wasn't even the leading scorer of that game for Clemson. He just had like the two more notable plays. They had the uh what's the kid's name? His name is Mack. Tevin Mack. Tevin Mack had uh twenty two points on ten of fourteen from the field and then uh Amir Sims, number twenty five for Clemson, matched his jersey number twenty five and nine. Leading the way for the Clemson Tigers as they beat Duke. They now go 9-7. Duke falls to 15-2. And, and Duke, I just feel like this year in college basketball is just the year of the sniper. Like, it just feel like a lot of teams are sniping these top teams in the country, so to speak. Just a lot of teams, when you see them, they're, they're the number one, they're the number two, number three, number four, number five. Top five teams just constantly losing. Number one has lost, I think... I don't have an exact number, but I, I believe number one is lost about five times this season. There's just no there's no protection at the top this season. I don't know if that's an indictment on number ones this year, or if that's a credit to the depth of college basketball, or the or the depth the the credit to the depth of comp competition in college basketball this season. But it's been a fun season to watch so far in college basketball. You got a lot of teams that get to the top five. And then they get knocked off. And breaking news here to the Windy City Hoops podcast. See, this is why I'm thinking about starting recording more in the afternoons. Zion Williamson is set to debut on January the 22nd when the Oklahoma, Oklahoma, the New Orleans Pelicans take on the uh, San San Antonio Spurs. Like I literally just got that alert right now as I'm sitting here recording. The uh, Windy City Hoops podcast. Uh, we'll likely talk about that tomorrow on my other show, Students of the Game, which you can catch 7 to 9 p.m. on ChicagolandSportsRadio.com. But you know what? Since I'm here right now, I'm actually just going to go ahead and get into it. I just probably regurgitate what I say on the show and let my co-hosts, uh, Joe and uh, Joe Gregory and Justin Adams, talk about that tomorrow. But I, a couple weeks ago, I came on here and I said, I think maybe they should just shut Zion down, make sure they get his uh, conditioning right, make sure that his, the, his body is not wearing on his knees because you don't want him to end up like a Greg Oden. Now, Greg Oden was a little bit of a different case because he had one leg that was longer than the other, so he sort of would have that thing where, like, his body weight, he would get more pressure on one of his legs than he would the other one, and it would, it would really wear on his joints. And, I mean, Blake Griffin, another guy that was a top pick that had knee, had a knee problem, and that's playing in him again this season because he had to have knee surgery. And then you have when you when you have these forwards or guys that are, like, somewhere in that 6'7 to 7 feet, like I think Zion goes about 6'8. We have guys that are somewhere in that 6'7 to 7 foot mold. That's a lot of wear and tear on your joints. And for New Orleans, I thought maybe sending him out would be the answer. I thought that maybe would be the uh, the best course of action course of action to make sure they got him. Like I said, to make sure they had him for the long term because I mean you traded Anthony Davis and then you traded Anthony Davis. You got a good package in return for Anthony Davis, but the whole point of trading Anthony Davis to get those guys was because you wanted to pair them with Zion Williamson. Now Brandon Ingram has ha is having an amazing season. I think he is all he's an All NBA contender. I can't remember if I got if I had him third team or if I had him on my honorable mention. I've been tracking it all season. I believe I had him. I think I have him honorable mention right now. 
But if you pair those guys with Zion moving forward, that will be huge for New Orleans in terms of trying to make a run in the West in a few years. I mean, right now probably would have been probably would have been a lost year anyway because it looks like his Lakers Clippers are bust. And then for New Orleans right now, they've really they've really struggled, especially in the last maybe maybe in most more so in December. But they've really been struggling throughout the season because they've had a lack of bodies. They've had Drew Holiday's missed games. Uh, Kenrick Williams has missed some time. Uh, Brandon Ingram has been playing, but like they've, it's Alonzo's missed games. Derek Favors had uh, the death of his mother he was dealing with earlier in the season. They've had a lot of guys miss time this season, and now they're 14th out of 15th in the West. They're uh, 15 and 26. It really feels like more of a lost season. So I feel like for New Orleans, getting Zion on the floor is huge. It's a chance for you to see what he can provide for the future with this team. But it also feels, at, at the other hand, it could also feel like a, you know what, maybe this is just a rush to get him on the court so we can see what he looks like on the floor with this New Orleans Pelicans team. But I, I would expect him to have some heavy load management going forward. But it's going to be huge to see. It's going to be, I, I think it's going to be fun to see Zion on the floor, see him get some of those high-flying dunks he had in college. And this is what everybody's been anticipating. I said if he played 60, I thought he would win rookie of the year. I think that may be a little bit out of out of reach now. I think John Moran is going to run away with that. I'm going to talk more about the Grizzlies later when I talk about the teams going streaking. But I really, I'm really looking forward to seeing Zion on the floor. But personally, I I, I personally would thought you know maybe they'd probably just sit him out for the rest of the season. But they're going to go the opposite direction, and we're finally going to get to see the number one pick, probably the most highly anticipated number one pick since LeBron James on the court on January the 22nd, when the New Orleans Pelicans take on the San Antonio Spurs. And I'm looking at my calendar and I'm trying to see is that a that's a Wednesday. So that's a, I thought maybe that might have been a um Yeah, that is a Wednesday. I was thinking maybe that might have been a Thursday. We could have saw it on TNT. But it'll be on NBA League Pass, and the Pelicans are at home in that game against the San Antonio Spurs. I'll likely you know what? I might wait. That might be one of those weeks where I'll probably wait to Thursday. Because the Bulls play the th the Timberwolves that same night. And I kinda want to see both. So I might wait to Thursday to record. I also said that this week, and I had to record early because I got to work. I got to work tonight, and then and tomorrow I got to do uh, students of the game. So we'll we'll see how it works out. You'll see the podcast up when it's available, wherever you get your uh, podcasts. But uh, also, going back to what I was talking about, I was talking about uh, college basketball. I mentioned Clemson Duke. I saw DePaul. I finally, finally got a chance to actually sit and watch DePaul. Like, I've seen their games and highlights, and I've seen parts of their games. Like, I saw the Providence loss. That I saw, like, the tail end of that game against Providence because that was the same day I had a Windy City game. But I saw their game against Butler last night. Uh, wait, but, no, I'm sorry. They played Butler this week. Their game against Villanova last night, and they lost in overtime 79-75. to 75. And that DePaul team, man, they've got some scores on that team. That's it's a very fun DePaul team. I, much the much the same as how I think the Illini, you know, my alma mater, University of Illinois, has been fun to watch with Io Desumu, uh, Trent Frazier, uh, Kofi Kofi Coburn, and Alan Griffin, and all of those guys on the Illini. I also think that this DePaul team is fun to watch, and the reason why I think that. Not only because they have a lot of guys that are like based in Chicago on the team, and like Marquise Jacobs went to Uplift, Charlie Moore who went to uh, Morgan Park, Jalen Coleman lands who originally attended Illinois and now goes to DePaul, but they just have a lot of scoring on that team. 
Like, when you look at that team, Charlie Moore, a guy that can get his own shot. Marquise Jacobs is a freshman, but I saw him at uplift. He he can put the ball in the basket. He's a certified bucket getter. He was in high school anyway, a certified bucket getter. They've got a good mix of scores, and when you add Jalen Coleman lands, they've got Paul Reed who can stretch the floor. He's a like sort of like a stretch four, as a matter of fact, because he you know on top of that he wears number four. He's a stretch four that can get to the basket. Sort of reminds me of like what I said about Jared Vanderbilt last week for Windy City. Reminds me of like a mix of Brandon Ingram and Pascal Siakam when you really see him on the basketball court. They've got uh, Jalen Butts, who's sort of like a scrap player. He'll go get some rebounds, but he can also step out and hit the mid-range jump shot a little bit. The, the DePaul team, a lot of fun. They've been fun to watch. They haven't quite gotten a win in Big East play just yet, but this weekend they have a big game coming up against Butler, and I actually kind of would like to be in the building for that game at Wintrust Arena when they take on the Butler Bulldogs. I might see what I can do about that in these next few days. The game is on Saturday. I might come back with something about DePaul's game against Butler next week, depending on how I look for time. But I'm really I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of this uh, DePaul team, man. Dave Lato has a very good squad with all the scoring on the team, but it's just can they crack some wins in the Big East? It's gonna it's gonna be tough to get wins in the in the Big East, man. Like that conference, I know it's not the old oh Georgetown, Syracuse, and you know it's not the original Big East, but that the, that conference is still putting together the some quality teams. You're talking about number 14, Nova, who DePaul lost to last night. Number 5, Butler, who they play this weekend on Saturday. Um, they play number 25, Creighton, next Wednesday. They got number 18, Seton Hall, coming up the week after that game against Creighton. So it's like DePaul's got quite they got quite the gauntlet to go through in the Big East to try to get wins. So far, uh, losses to Seton Hall, Providence, St. John's, and Villanova. But Two of those games really came down to the wire. Nova, they, they took Nova to overtime, just couldn't quite get over the hump. And then, of course, the Providence game, it came down to a late foul for why they didn't win that ball game. But if you get a chance, check out the DePaul Blue Demons, man. They really really got a fun team to watch, man, with um, Charlie Moore, Jalen Coleman, Lands, and uh, off the bench, Marquise Jacobs, and then, of course, Paul Reed. Paul Reed, I think if I had to pick a three-headed monster, which is going to sort of be a theme for this show this week, uh, if I had to pick a three-headed monster for DePaul, I would go with um, – Charlie Moore, obviously, Jalen Coleman lands, and Paul Reed. So those three guys, definitely fun to watch for the uh, DePaul team. And then they got the, <laughs> and then they got the kid on the bench, always like, <laughs> always doing the, um, always number, what's his, I, can't, I always mess up his name, number thirty-five on the bench for DePaul. Like, come on, man. Like I'm trying to think. Like I always forget. I want to say it's like P Pantelis or something like that. I always mess his name up. Yeah, it's Pantelis Zidias, I think is how you say it. Like, I always, I always mess his name up whenever I say it. But, yeah, Pantelis Zidias, number 35 for DePaul. Always on the sideline doing those funny dances whenever. The, <laughs> you see him with the, with the goggles on, on the sideline doing those dances, man. Very entertaining. Very entertaining team on and off the court, to say the least, for uh, Dave Lato and the um, DePaul Blue Demons. All right, let's, let's venture away from collegiate. And let's talk more about uh, the professional ranks here. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Windy City Bulls in just a moment. And I'm going to talk about the Chicago Bulls after that. But let's talk about some NBA overview. Let's, let's go with some standouts in the NBA as of late. And one standout, the first one I got here is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Remember a few weeks ago when I did the um, 
NBA award tracker episode, I named three guys that I thought could be most improved. I named the guy that I think is going to be the runaway winner, Devontae Graham. I named, I named Bam Adebayo, and then the other guy was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And for good reason, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a 20-point, 20-rebound, 10-assist triple-double on Monday in Oklahoma City's win against the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. was 117-104. He did that at the Target Center in Minneapolis. And he did that following a game where he had 24 points and 8 rebounds on Saturday in a 15-point loss to the Lakers, a game where the Lakers didn't even have uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Kyle Kuzma actually carried the mail in that one. He had 36 points. But Shea Gilgis-Alexander, when I watch him play, he's a very unique guard in the sense that he's big and he's like a 6'6 point guard. Like, And I know it's like that's really not too new. Chris, that's really not as unique as you think. But when you really look at him play, in the, game, the last few games, he's had like almost a five-inch height advantage on most guys that guard him. And he he now I know he's playing the two in Oklahoma City, but he's really like a primary. He's sort of like P.J. Dozier with the Windy City Bulls. He's sort of like a six-six-six-seven primary ball handler for the team. Position-wise, they may list him at the two, but but once again, when you look at when you get that eye test going, when you actually see what's happening on the court. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is controlling the ball a lot of times for Oklahoma City. Even with Chris Paul in the game, Chris Paul is playing more off the ball. A lot of times when Shea Gilgis-Alexander scores, he has like he's the primary ball handler. He's calling the numbers. It's high pick and rolls. What happens is because he's almost, and don't don't take this wrong when I say this, he's almost like Giannis. He's not, I'm not saying he's, oh, he's the same talent level. He's the MVP level like Giannis. What I mean like Giannis, because he's so big for a guard, his strides, he could take two strides and he's at the rim against most guards. Like I saw him going at uh, Fred Van Vliet when he had the 32-point game uh, about a month ago and, uh, at uh, Toronto. And it's like Van Vliet is so like Van Vliet is about six feet. <laughs> like in Shea is 6'5". He can punish smaller guards because he's so quick. He covers so much ground in one step. And the thing about Shea Gillis Alexander that really makes him tough to guard is I think that because his strides are so long, defenders start playing him back. But the thing is, he can knock down the mid-range jump shot almost automatically. Like I saw the game against Minnesota whenever, uh, I believe it was either, I think it might have been Shabazz Napier that was guarding him. Or, yeah, yeah, I believe it was Shabazz Napier. Shabazz Napier was trying to guard him, and like he would try to play him back to make up for the fact that he didn't have the uh, the height to stay with him. And Shea was just like, all right, you're going you gonna to give me the jump shot, step back, knock down the jumper. He was just knocking those down at will against Minnesota. And I really think Oklahoma City really got a star. They really got a star in the making with uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander in, uh, in exchange for Paul George in that trade over the summer. That was really a good pick. That was really a good, good move for Oklahoma City. I mean... I expect the Oklahoma City to be one of those teams that's sort of like, all right, well, they're not going to make the playoffs. I had two teams in each conference that I thought had no chance of making the playoffs. One was the Knicks, and the other was the Charlotte Hornets in the East. Charlotte's been proving me wrong with Devontae Graham, who, like I said, I think is the runaway most improved player. In the West, I thought Phoenix, and I thought Oklahoma City. I thought Oklahoma City would falter. 
But Oklahoma City also proving me wrong. Right now, they're doing better than any of the teams I just named. They're seventh in the West, six games over, four-and-a-half game lead in that seventh spot over the next team I'm going to talk about, the Memphis Grizzlies, who also, as of late, has been standing out. They've won six straight ball games. But Oklahoma City has really gotten a player, and I really could see Shea Gilgis Alexander sort of being like the guy for that team moving forward with the way he's been playing. And I know there's been a lot of talk about what are you going to do with Chris Paul, what's going, to, going on with his contract. Well, I think Shea Gilgis Alexander has bought them some time. They really don't have to they really don't have to rush into possibly doing something with Chris Paul or doing something where they feel like, well, hey, we have to keep Chris Paul. You know, they really I think he's allowed them to sort of control that situation. Even though Chris Paul has said he's enjoyed playing in Oklahoma City and I really like another three-headed monster that they have at guard with Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and the rising star that is Shea Gilgis Alexander in Oklahoma City. I'm going to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. They, as I mentioned, have won six straight ball games. They are one of three teams in the NBA as of late that has gone streaking. Memphis last night with a win over the Houston Rockets. Their sixth straight win they are now 19-22. and 22. They've moved to eighth place in the Western Conference. And Memphis is a team that I thought, you know what, that team could be fun in the Western Conference. I mean, it's going to be a bit of a stretch for them to get into the playoffs. But John Morant, I think, is the runaway. Yeah, I think he's the runaway. I, was th I had to think about that because I remember earlier I was like, no, I think Pascal and Nunn have a shot. But at this point, I just think John Morant is just running away with rookie of the year. I mean, he has been Memphis, much the same as I thought Pascal, Pascal had been Golden State on some nights. But I think John Morant, he has essentially just been the Memphis Grizzlies this season. Now, don't get me wrong, they do have other guys contributing, namely like a Dylan Brooks who last night poured in 24 points and four rebounds. And uh, Jonas Valanciunas, 19 points and six rebounds. I've got more on Jonas Valanciunas in just a moment. But John Morant, 26 points, eight assists, five rebounds, 10 of 11 from the field. That Memphis team, really fun. They've they've beaten a lot of teams that they should beat as of late. I mean, they beat the Warriors, and they've beaten Minnesota, and they've beaten Phoenix. But I feel like, which is going to be another common theme here when I talk about these teams that have that have been going streak, that have been on streaks as of late, you beat teams that you're supposed to beat. And that's what the Memphis Grizzlies have done. If you're really going to be a good team, you've got to beat teams where you're the better team. And they've done that. And John Moran has been a big port, a big part of that. Jaron Jackson Jr. has been playing pretty well. But I think the guy, the guy that's really stood out the most to me is Jonas Valanciunas. I really, I really think statistically it won't show this because I, I looked at his numbers. And, like, I think this is, like, maybe his second best stat, number, stat season of his career. But I think Jonas Valanciunas is playing the best basketball of his career. And I mean that in calendar year 2020, meaning from January 1st, <laughs> 2020, to right now at the time of this recording, at 1.01 p.m. Chicago time, at on January 15th, 2020, I think in calendar year 2020, Jonas Valanciunas is having the best, he's playing the best basketball of his career. And when you really look at what he's done here in the calendar year 2020, he's averaging 18 points per game, which is three points higher than his season best, which was like 15. It was 15 last season. I think it was like 15-5 or something like that last year. 
He's averaging 18 points, 10 rebounds. He's shooting 62%. He doesn't take that many threes, but he's shooting 41, 7 of 17 from three-point land. I think he's really playing the best basketball of his career right now in calendar year 2020. Had a 31-point performance against Golden State on Sunday. Had a 21-9 against the Spurs. Had a bad one last week against Minnesota. He only had like four points and six rebounds. But prior to that, he had like 30 points and eight rebounds in the game against Phoenix on January 5th. So Valanchunas, and the, he's really been playing well. I think this is the best. I think he's the reason he's playing the best basketball of his career. Personally, I think it's because he's he's free. I think he's free. He, he's free of pressure. There's, I think there's a lack of pressure for him. The pressure that was with him in Minnesota in uh, Toronto no longer exists because you got to remember he was a top he was a top ten pick for Toronto. If I want to, I want to say he was number five actually for Toronto back when they drafted him. And when you get t- picked that high, there's always going to be a level of expectation for you, especially with the team that drafted you. Yeah, he was picked number five by Toronto back in 2011. And I think sometimes when you get picked that high, you know, you're expected to live up to a soup, almost a superstar level like we're seeing now out of Trey Young, like we're seeing out of Jason Tatum. Actually, like like Zion. Zion Williamson is expected to achieve with the New Orleans Pelicans. And then for Toronto, he was a good fit as a role player. But when you're the number five pick, you, you can't be a role. You're, you're almost, it's almost like a crime to be a role player when you get picked that high. And for him, he always sort of was like the maybe I don't even think he was the third chair member. He was sort of like maybe third or fourth behind Lowry and DeRozan. There would be some games where he'd probably even be fourth. And then they would probably have a guy like at the wing, like uh, OG Ananobi, before he got hurt. They would have other guys that would come off the bench. I remember the one year they had Lou Williams come off the bench. So he's always sort of been like maybe third or maybe fourth in the team scoring out there in Toronto. And I think now in Memphis, he's sort of in that same spot. He's sort of fourth, but what he's doing with Memphis is he's giving them an inside-out presence as Valanchunas with Valanchunas inside and Jaron Jackson Jr., the outside guy. And then at the guard, they have two guards that can score, which is something he did have in Toronto, but he never had the inside-outside presence. I mean, he had Siakam last season, but he got traded in the middle of the season out of Toronto to Valanchunas in exchange for Marc Gasol. So he's now getting a full season with another player that can sort of take the burden off of him where he can get the ball down low and he can go to work against other bigs because he was giving Clint Capella some problems in that game last night against the Houston Rockets. And for Memphis, much like I, much how I felt about DePaul in college basketball, I think the Memphis Grizzlies are a fun team to watch, a fun, young, up-and-coming team to watch in the NBA, much the same as I feel about the Miami Heat, much the same as I feel about the grinded-out style the Indiana Pacers have been playing, had been playing, but they've been getting a lot of games where they, they score a lot. With They got Victor Oladipo coming back in Indiana but I just think there are a lot of fun teams, even Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns. Another, a lot of f- young, fun teams that are on the rise that are giving you things that give you highlight reel material, giving you something to watch. I know with Miami, you see Derrick Jones Jr. creating a highlight regularly. Kelly Oubre has been creating highlights. Had a huge game on Monday night. I believe, yeah, that was Mon- Mon- either Sunday or Monday. He had a huge game where he had like 25 points. I just think 
there's a lot of young up-and-coming talent in this league when you talk about Devontae Graham, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. When you talk about teams, you talk about Miami. You talk about Brogdon and Sabonis in Indiana. You talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. You talk about the Phoenix Suns. There's just a lot of young up-and-coming talent in the league. And even New Orleans Pelicans, I mean, the record doesn't show it, but they have some guys that are that are fun to watch. And it's just a fun time to be a basketball fan right now. It's been a fun time to be a fan of the NBA and see these guys on a nightly basis. And you could be looking at some guys that will be the future of the league that could be stars. I'm not saying that they're going to reach LeBron James and Anthony Davis levels of stardom, but they're, they're guys that are like, you know, there are some guys where you look at them, you say, you know what, I got to see what he did last night. I got to see what, what type of performance he put on last night. And it's really fun to see some of these guys um, sort of take the league by storm. Uh, one star, there are some stars in this league. Like I mentioned, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But there's a guy on the team that's a third-chair member in Kyle Kuzma who had 36 points, as I mentioned earlier, in the Lakers' win over the weekend against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Remember, they did not have LeBron James. They did not have Anthony Davis. No problem for the Lakers. Won at 125-110, led by Kyle Kuzma. That was one of the nine wins that the Lakers have on their current streak. Uh, the Lakers, in their most recent outing, rolled over the Los Angeles uh, rolled over the Los Angeles Lakers. No, the Lakers beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, as the Cavaliers are had their uh, Staples Center back to back. First, the Lakers beat them one twenty eight ninety nine. LeBron James had thirty one points and eight assists in that ball game, and then the next night, Cleveland just. Just just a tough trip to Staples for the Cavaliers as they lost to the um, Los Angeles Clippers the following night, 128-103, which was last night. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, 43 points and only three quarters of action. Uh, the Lakers, the best team in the West at 33-7 and right now. And they have now won nine straight. So you got the Memphis Grizzly who's, Grizzlies who've won six straight. You've got the uh, Los Angeles Lakers who've won nine straight. And as good as those streaks sound, neither of those teams, neither of those teams have out have I guess outstreaked. <laughs> neither one of those teams have had better runs than the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz currently have the best winning streak in the NBA right now. They've won ten straight games. That win streak has propelled them to second in the Western Conference. They now have a half game lead on the Denver Nuggets. And honestly, when you look at the Utah Jazz win streak. This is a win streak that easily could be 16 games right now. Like they, Their last loss was on December the 23rd, a three-point loss to the Miami Heat. Uh, they won last night against the Brooklyn Nets. But that three-point loss to the Heat easily could have been a win, and they could be at 16 straight. I think the only loss they had before that, they lost like by 14 points. And I'm trying to remember, was it Oklahoma City or Denver who they lost to? I, I always mix it up because I knew it was a division matchup. Who they lost to and that uh, who they had that previous loss to in December, but this is a Utah Jazz team led by Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley that has really and Joe Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles and Bojan Bogdanovic. They've got weapons. I'm not gonna leave. I'm not trying to leave anybody out. But Donovan Mitchell averaging 24 points a game, four rebounds and four assists. Mike Conley's only averaging 13 and four. But the fact that you have him out there is taking the pressure off of Donovan Mitchell. It allows Donovan Mitchell to play off the ball where he doesn't he doesn't have to 
ball handle as much. But the thing is, when they got Conley, that's what he was brought in for. But the thing is, Conley's been out. <laughs> like, Conley has been out there for, like, he's been out since December 17th with an injury. And I really just think Mike Conley, even without playing, is having an effect on Donovan Mitchell by allowing him to be like, you know what? This is how you got to be the floor general on this team. This is how you have to go out there and play. This is how you have to go out there and lead by example. And I think just having sometimes just having that veteran presence in the locker room is key. I know Conley was struggling coming in. But when you talk about what Mike Conley can bring to your team off the floor, I think we're seeing that in Utah, and that's why they've been on a bit of a run as of late, winning these last 10 ball games. You got Rudy Gobert, you got Joe Ingles, you got Bojan Bogdanovic. This is a good team that has some solid depth. There's some solid depth on that Utah team. And when I say depth, I don't mean like, oh, they can play 10 or 11 deep. I mean, like, they have a legit eight guys that can go in there and give you something, give you something special every night on the floor. And it was December 9th when they lost to Oklahoma City. I knew it was – I was thinking – I knew it was a 14-point loss. It was 104-90 to OKC, which was their last convincing loss, so to speak, because they only lost by three to uh, Miami in their their actual – their last actual loss on December the 23rd. But when you look at Utah, they've added Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson gives them 15 a game. You've – Mike Conley's out, but when he's healthy, he gives you 13 a game himself. You've got Joe Ingles. Bojan Bogdanovic, who was lighting it up in Indiana a season ago, has been key. They've got Emmanuel Moutier, who comes in, and he has helped relieve Donovan Mitchell of having to run the point guard responsibilities, as has uh, Jordan Clarkson. And they have a legit eight-man rotation that, can, that they really can just throw out there and put up against anybody. Like they have Mitchell, Clarkson. Conley when he's healthy, Bogdanovich, uh, Gobert, Ingles, Moutier. They have uh, Royce O'Neal, who they play off the bench. They have a legit – or sometimes, actually, sometimes they even start him. They put him at the three or the four if they feel the need to. Just a lot of – just a, a lot of good production out of that Utah team, and it has propelled them to – it's propelled them to this 10-game uh, win streak. Now, I know – a lot of people look at the record. They look at the schedule and say, well, they've beaten a lot of teams that they really should beat. You know, it's not not really the toughest schedule in the world. I mean, they, they do have wins over Portland, Detroit, Chicago, Orlando, New Orleans, the Knicks, Charlotte, and Washington. Not exactly the most convincing <laughs> win streak. But I, but I keep saying this. I'm a proponent of this. I really believe this. If you're a good team, you go out and beat teams that you're better than. But here's the thing, though. Utah has one notable win in there that you can't you can't just gloss over it like it didn't happen. They beat the Clippers in L.A. by 13 points back on December the 28th. And that was a game where Kawhi and Paul George combined for 39 points. But they shot a combined 12 for 44. Both of them had six field goals. Utah defended. They defended. The Clippers very well in that ball game, and I know it's it's a well you know in the NBA now there is no defense you know it's it's not really a defensive league defense now is just letting guys shoot and making them miss, but I'm and letting them miss their shots. But it's like you, you get you, when you're taking on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they're not missing them shots just because oh well it's wide open I'm not you know I couldn't put it down that does happen, but if you saw that game Utah was getting after it defensively, and I think Utah that that's one win 
that that's one signature win in his 10-game win streak for the Utah Jazz that I think they could really hang their hat on. And it's really going to be interesting to see how Utah looks when and if they get Mike Conley back because he's been out for almost a month. And you really hope that when he – you really hope he can come back and give them that added dynamic of sort of what we see out of um, Utah, not Utah, Oklahoma City with Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander. You give them that veteran point guard with the young rising star and then you go out there and then you have an interesting dynamic because Conley's no slouch himself even though he's been struggling this season. He's no slouch himself. He can get his shot. He can create shots for others. And then Donovan Mitchell becoming a star. I mean, he's. I think he's already at that point where he is a star. But he's really trying to – he's really starting to get towards superstar levels in the NBA. And this has been another good season for Donovan Mitchell where he and Rudy Gobert and that crew with Ingles and Bogdanovich and Conley, even though he's out, but when he returns, has Utah, has Utah looking promising – as Donovan Mitchell right now at 24.2 points a game is having his uh, best average scoring-wise as a pro. Mike Conley, by the way, has a, had that left hamstring injury. He re-aggravated that injury, so you just hope he can get back and have this Utah team back in that hunt in that Western Conference that is seven, I think is seven strong. I still think at the end of the day it's Lakers a bust. That was who I picked to win the West. I still think it's Lakers. Lakers are bust at this point, but still, just that. What's the fun thing about the playoffs is just getting to that journey of who actually wins. It's getting there, having those entertaining series that hold you over until it's time for the conference finals or it's time for the finals. I remember the last few years when the Warriors and Cavs it was like, well, you know, the Warriors are going to win, and I mean, the Rockets gave you that that opportunity, that chance a few years ago, and the Celtics, the Rockets and Celtics that same year, where they both had those. Terrible shooting, three-point shooting games in Game 7. They gave you those, well, this may be the year these teams get dethroned, but it it didn't happen. And, you know, you just want to see that. You just want to see those type of matchups in this play in the playoffs, some teams that really can make some noise and give you that thought. Like, all right, let's see how the, how the Lakers or the Clippers match up against these teams. And Utah has done a good job against the Clippers this season. Uh, beat them earlier this year in at Utah and then beat them and then beat them again at L.A. in that game that I just mentioned on uh, December the 28th. All right, it's time to bring it back home now. We're going to – it is the Windy City Hoops podcast, and as I said, I got to talk about both the Chicago Bulls and the Windy City Bulls. I'm going to start it off here talking about Windy City, of course. Uh, Windy City, only two games last week. Uh, one was a loss. The first one was Friday night, a loss at the hands of the College Park Skyhawks. It was a 114-103 loss in that game. The Bulls were joined by uh, Denver Nuggets assignee Jarrett Vanderbilt, formerly of the uh, Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, Vanderbilt came over. He actually spent the whole weekend with the Bulls, and I was saying last week how I thought he was a – he reminded me of a mix of Brandon Ingram and Pascal Siaka, much like I said about uh, Paul Reed of DePaul earlier. But I really think – He's a high-energy performer. He, he, I mean, I saw him out there getting blocking shots, running up and down the floor, getting alley-oops, alley-oop dunks, alley-oop lay-ins, scoring off curls to the basket. And it was really fun to watch him. In the game on Friday, he struggled a little bit. I mean, he had 14 points on 4 of 6 shooting in 28 minutes. 
I mean, statistically, that's not bad. But when you really saw that game, the problem for the Bulls in the game against College Park Skyhawks was they really couldn't stop the trio that College Park had of former Michigan State Spartan Nick Ward, who was getting a lot of a lot of spoon-fed baskets, just getting to the rim, laying the ball up, putting the Bulls in foul trouble, causing all sorts of problems. And then the backcourt duo of um, Jordan Seibert, who in that ballgame for College Park had 26 points, 9 of 13 from the floor, had four threes, four or five to be exact. And uh, before he got he, he got hurt in the ballgame, Cat Barber. Cat Barber had hurt his ankle on a basket. It appeared to be an ankle injury. He was going, Him and Thomas Wilder of the Bulls were going for a loose ball. Wilder ended up scoring, but Barber laid out on the floor. And he, he laid down for quite a minute. They finally got him up. It was good to see him stand up. But he was holding his ankle. And uh, But he has, in his career, has caused problems for Windy City. He has 16 points, 11 assists, and 7 rebounds in that ball game for College Park. That was a ball game in which the Bulls actually never led. And if you really look, and I, when I looked at the final box, because I saw, the, obviously I saw the game live. I was calling it on SportstownChicago.com. That night with Sam Panianovich. And when I was watching the game, I was thinking, like, when you look at the stats, how are the Bulls losing this game? Like, they, they won the points in the paint battle, 60-52. to 52. Uh, The rebound battle, College Park won the rebound battle, 45-37. And the Bulls, but in that battle, the Bulls have 14 offensive rebounds. College Park had 10. And you're thinking, well, if the Bulls win the offensive rebound battle, and they lost by 11. If you win the offensive rebound battle by four, that's eight more points you should have. <laughs> and so you should, so it should only be a, maybe a three-point deficit or three-point loss. But that wasn't the case. College Park also shot nine of 19 from three. Bulls shot seven of 33. Bulls got to a Windy City Bulls got to a point where it was just they were just putting up a lot of threes in that game, and they just weren't falling. And every time they got close, it was like College Park got up big, and then Windy City would get it down to about six. They get it down to about six, and then College Park will go right back on the run, led by Cybert, Ward, or maybe even Cat Barber. And the Bulls just they just kept getting close, but never could quite tie College Park. And obviously, they never took the lead in that ball game. Ended up losing that game. Ended up they ended up falling to ten and twelve in that one. They had Jared Vanderbilt, who with his high energy, he was going up like a tight end, getting rebounds. But what we really saw from Vanderbilt. The game that really was impressive was the game he had the next night. And that they that was the game they had where they won against the Fort Wayne Mad Ants who had who had two NBA assignees in Goga Bitadza and Alize Johnson. Both had twenty and twenty performances. And of course Fort Wayne had former Windy City Bull Guard, Walt Lim Windy City Bull and Chicago Bull Guard, Walt Lemon Jr. And uh Windy City won the next night. PJ Dozier came back. Remember the Denver Nuggets assignee P.J. Dozier, he was out last week with illness. He returned in the game on Friday. He came off the bench on Friday night against the uh, College Park Skyhawks. Had uh, 20 points on 8 of 18 shooting. And But the following night, he had 32 points, 9 assists, and 8 rebounds. And Jared Vanderbilt, in that same game on Saturday against Fort Wayne, posted a career-high 25 points, and he had 12 rebounds. And... I know I, I I feel like I might say this every time I see PJ Dozier now. It's beyond me how this guy doesn't have a guaranteed NBA deal. Like <laughs> I just don't get it. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful and I'm not trying to to be too hyperbolic by saying this. 
But I think he's Giannis light. I really do think he's he's like another Giannis instead of Kupo. Like when I look at him, and then and I mean and I and not not even just on the court, but like physically, he looks like Gian, Giannis as well. But on the court, he plays like Giannis instead of Kupo. Except I think PJ is a better shooter than Giannis than Giannis was. And I, and I don't I don't want to say is because Giannis has been improving at three as of late. But even still, I like three wise. I think PJ is a much better three point shooter. But mid-range-wise, I think he's equal to Giannis in terms of mid-range shooting. I saw his game, the game he had back on New Year's Day against Greensboro where he put the Bulls on his back and he was hitting a bunch of mid-range jumpers, put it in that game out of reach. And then the game he had against Fort Wayne, he was calling his own number against Alizé Johnson, an NBA assignee of the NBA Indiana Pacers. And he was calling isolations. He was getting isoed against him, knocking down three, stepping back, hitting mid-range jumpers. He really just took the game over as a floor general for Windy City in that ball game. And I really just think like somebody could really use him on their team at the NBA level. I mean, I don't understand what Oklahoma I don't understand why Oklahoma City passed on him. I don't understand why Maine passed on him. Denver has him, but they have him on a two-way deal. It's just amazing to me that he's not fully contracted, like not a guarantee. I know he he has a two-way deal, so he is contracted, but I don't understand why he doesn't have, like, a two-year, $2 million deal or something like that. You know, just something where it's like, look, we believe in you and we think you can be a player on this team because he has all of the talent. He's a triple-double threat, like I mentioned. In the game he had Saturday, he had, um, he had 32 points, nine assists, and eight rebounds. And he was one of the – one of three players – for Windy City because it's going back to that three-headed monster thing that I said I was going to get into. Windy City had three guys lighted up in that game against Fort Wayne. Now, Fort Wayne's had Goga Bitazu who had 25 points, 20 rebounds, eight blocks, and four assists. That stat line alone, like, wow. Uh, the Bulls won 121-12 and ended their three-game losing streak. But the performances of Bitazu who had 25, 28 blocks, and four assists. Alizé Johnson had 22 points, 20 rebounds, seven assists, and three steals. Former first-round pick C.J. Wilcox. Fort Wayne really has a stacked NBA G League roster when you really think about it. But after that loss, they went 9-14. I know they won their most recent game against Capital City on, I want to say that was Monday when Fort Wayne beat the Capital City Go-Go, the affiliate, the affiliate of the Washington Wizards. But they really have a stacked team when you talk about uh, C.J. Wilcox and Walt Lemon. And then Goga B. Todds and Alizé Johnson have been getting... Um, NBA G, G League assignments as of late because now Indiana, the Indiana Pacers are starting to get some of their bodies back. They've had Bitadza and Alizé Johnson most of the season because they've had so many injuries. But now with Indiana getting Miles Turner back healthy, Demonte Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon. And then, of course, January 29th, they got Victor Oladipo coming back. Indiana really now can afford to put those guys, Alizé Johnson and Goga Bitadza, down with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants with the likes of C.J. Wilcox and Walt Lemon Jr., and try to make a run and regain uh, regain what I thought was their rightful position because the last few years they've been one of the best teams in the NBA G League's Central Division. Of course, last year, Windy City and Grand Rapids, the affiliate of the Pistons, took that over. But Fort Wayne, they've been a team to watch in that uh, NBA G League the past few years. And I think now if, if they can manage their – they can manage the roster a little bit now that they have more health, they can send some of those guys back to uh, Fort Wayne and try to – make a run in the G League, especially because in the G League they got a lot of injuries with Naz Mitru Long being out and Hashim Tabit also being out. 
Like Fort Wayne only played like eight guys the game prior to Windy City, and I think they and in the game against Windy City, I think maybe played nine. So they're really trying to figure it out in Fort Wayne. But going back to Windy City, the Bulls ended up winning that game, led by a trio of players. It was a three-headed monster. I mentioned P.J. Dozier and Jared Vanderbilt, but the thing about Dozier and Vanderbilt, those guys are Denver Nugget players. Like Vanderbilt is a, a Nuggets assignee, and Dozier's a Nuggets two-way player. Milton Doyle, however, for Windy City, was the, the actual Chicago Bulls G League standout. He had 27 points, 10 of 15 from the field, 6 of 10 from three, three rebounds, three assists, two blocks. Personally, I think he's the best all-around player on Windy City. You could argue, argue P.J. Dozier, but I just think Milton is so much more automatic shooting than P.J. Dozier. He's more aggressive on defense. He's a much, I think he's a, a better defender than P.J. Dozier. P.J. Dozier gives you all the things you like on offense, and he's the, trip, the constant triple-double threat. And, Milton, and the thing about Milton is Milton is uh, he's working on his ball handling. Because there's, he's starting to get looks as the primary ball handler. And he got some looks when P.J. was out. P.J. Dozier was out with the illness. But I really just think Milton Doyle might be the best, the Bulls, <laughs> the Bulls' best player on the uh, Windy City Bulls G League roster. But that, but the way that game played out, it was, it was real fun watching it play out because the Bulls were up three in the third quarter. And then Jared Vanderbilt and P.J. Dozier, it was like Dozier was calling Vanderbilt's number. Dozier, Vanderbilt had 11 straight points. He had, he had 11 straight for the Bulls, took their lead from 3 to 10. And then immediately after, it wasn't the Vanderbilt show anymore. <laughs> I want to say it was um, Justin Simon or Dozier. I think Simon or Dozier might have scored. After that, they ended Vanderbilt's run. Milton Doyle started at 9. He hit 9 straight for the Bulls and put the Gator Bulls. Uh, it, the lead extended from 10 to 17. Bulls led 86-69 at the end of the third quarter. They ended up beating the uh, Fort Wayne Maddox and... Once again, Windy City's record might not show it. They're 11 and 12, uh, currently eighth place in the G League, but the, in the East, G League's Eastern Conference. But they have a chance to really, really gain some ground in the East in the, in the upcoming days. But they're really fun to watch when you think about these guys like PJ Dozier, constant triple double threat. Jared Vanderbilt assignment gives them a big man that can gives them a four really that can go in there and, and get those highlight dunks and, and alley oops and get rebounds. And can fly around the court sort of like a, a stretch four. You think about the times they've had Bowl Bowl assigned, who hasn't been back since uh, before the new year. He hasn't been back yet when they've had Bowl Bowl. So that's been a show. They've had Simi Shitu, who has been a standout big man for Windy City this season, especially in the uh, calendar year of 2020. Had that big 29 and 18 point, 29 point 18 rebound game against Westchester a couple Saturdays ago. And then you look at Justin Simon, who's been struggling as of late, but he's athletic. And you talk about Milton Doyle, who's, an, I think, the best all-around player. You talk about two-way player Adam Makoka, who has had his struggles. And as of late, has been getting a lot of time with Chicago. You see him on the sideline and with the, with the suits on. You would like to see him get a little bit more tick at the NBA level as a two-way player. And even prior to Max Struess getting hurt, they had his outside shooting. I think this Winnie City team is just—they're just fun. Like it's there's just there's just a lot of fun teams to watch right now in basketball as a whole, and they give you reasons to like, man, I, I they give you reasons to man say, man, I gotta watch this team. I see the potential. I want to see where this goes. It may not be, you know, it might may not be the best of situations right now in terms of record-wise, but it's just entertaining to see them on the floor. And I think Windy City moving forward. 
the next couple of days. Tomorrow morning, actually, at 10 a.m., they'll take on the Lakeland Magic for one of the Education Day games, which is something that happens throughout the G League. We have a number of those at Windy City ourselves where we have those 10 a.m. games. Got to get there bright and early at 8 a.m., and then you got to watch the game, <laughs> and then the game happens at 10. The tip time is at 10, and then the matchup against Lakeland is key because the Bulls are currently in eighth. Lakeland is seventh in the Eastern Conference. Remember, top six teams in the East make the playoffs, in the, in the conference makes the playoffs. Lakeland is currently seventh, and the Bulls right now right behind them, so a chance to gain ground on them. And then the Bulls are game and a half behind sixth place Grand Rapids, who they will meet on January the 25th. That will be the next time that I'll be at the Sears Center Arena for Windy City Bulls basketball when they take on the Grand Rapids Drive, the affiliate of the Detroit Pistons. We'll have that on SportstownChicago.com. My partner, Jonathan Hood, I believe he'll be back for that one. Yeah, Jonathan Hood will be, it'll be myself, Jonathan Hood, and uh, Ryan Fahey. Or you can watch it on NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, one of the, either Plus or either Chicago Outright or Chicago Plus. I'm not sure right now. With Mark Shanowski in, with Julio Rauseo and Mark Shanowski on the call there. As Windy City tries to go for back-to-back -back playoff appearances. It'll be, it, it, they try to go for back-to-back -back playoff appearances this season after making their first ever NBA G League playoff appearance a season ago. And they've got a good, a good chance to gain some ground against Lakeland and then against the Erie Bayhawks on Saturday. And last time they were in Erie, had a miraculous finish last year <laughs> uh, where C.J. Fair had an over-the-head tip-in as time expired to get Windy City to win against the Erie Bayhawks. So be on the lookout for that as the Windy City Bulls season continues. All right, we're going to wrap up the show, of course, talking about the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls right now have passed the halfway mark. They're 14 and 27. Uh, I would do like a halfway wrap-up, but I feel like I sort of already did it when I did the State of the Bulls on New Year's Day. Maybe if I would have waited about a, a couple of weeks, could have did that wrap-up show, that sort of halfway point show. But uh, for the Bulls, uh, the injury bug struck last week in between me recording on last Wednesday night after the Pelicans game and then recording here on this Wednesday afternoon, the day before the or actually, not the day before, the hours before the game against the Washington Wizards. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr., remember he hurt his ankle in that game against the Dallas Mavericks last Monday when he was going to the basket drive and he stepped on Dwight Powell's foot and he rolled his ankle. Well, on Thursday, it was announced that he'll be out four to six weeks with a severe right ankle sprain, and that was it. that is a huge blow to the Bulls as he's averaging 11 0.7 points a game and almost 10 rebounds at 9.9. And, yes, I'm one of those guys. 9.9 is not 10. It's 9.9. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, if you look at, if you look at your bank account, 99 cent is not a dollar. <laughs> it's only 99 cent. That's all I'm saying. Like, it's exact numbers. You can you can try to go somewhere and buy something. Say something's 51 cent. If you only got 50, they typically, like, if you try to swipe your card, the card declines. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> if you try to buy something that's a dollar and you only have 99 cent, the card declines. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but anyway, or actually, no, they might hit you with the oh, they might hit you with the overdraft. But yeah, <laughs> it typically declines if you're just a little bit under. I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people. 11.7 is not 12. It's 11.7. 9.9 is not 10. It's 9.9. But anyway, let me get off my uh my stat soapbox. But uh, the Windy City Bulls, uh, not Windy City, the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Wendell Carter is out. Uh, that's that's been a huge blow because and it really stood out 
in their last couple of games, especially the game against the uh, Boston Celtics. Uh, the Bulls, over during the past week, had three games. They lost 116-105 to the Indiana Pacers, despite Zach Levine having 43 points. They did get a win, their first win since I've been the new host of the uh, Windy City Hoops podcast. They beat the Pistons 108-99 on Saturday, but they lost to the Celtics on Monday, 113-101. And in that game, the Bulls lost by only 12, and they actually made a run. They got back into the game uh, by scoring, really did a good job of getting to the basket in the second half. But Boston, they just had no answer for Boston in the first half going to the paint. Boston really controlled the paint early. Uh, they they dominated the Bulls in the paint. It was 32-20 in the first half. And the interesting thing is the Bulls actually ended up winning the points in the paint battle 52-48 because of how they played in the second half. But with Wendell Carter being out, it put a lot of pressure on Daniel Gafford to stay in the game. And Daniel Gafford was in foul trouble early. Like I, I remember looking at the stats. He had seven. He had like three fouls, two points, and seven minutes in seven minutes played in the first half. I'm like, man, he got more fouls than he's got points in in the first half. And it allowed Ennis Cantor to really Ennis Cantor really ate good against I thought he ate really good against the Bulls in that ball game. In the first quarter he had nine points, four rebounds. He was a perfect four four. Celtics had a twelve four point in the paint advantage at the end of the first quarter. Uh the Bulls really couldn't get anything to the basket because Luke Cornett Luke Cornett can really – I think he's good at stretching the floor. But when you really put a body on Luke Cornett, he can be had. And, I I mean, Ennis Cantor was just going at him. He was scoring at him left and right. I do admire Luke Cornett, though, for jumping in front of Jalen Brown and trying to block a sh- block, trying to block a dunk. He was successful in making him miss it. He didn't actually block it. But uh, I admire him for trying because, I personally, I probably would have made the business decision. So that may be some of that Wendell Carter wearing off on uh, Luke Cornett because Wendell said – he didn't care how many times he got dunked on. He's going to keep challenging you. And I think Luke Cornett took that same stance. He tried to block the dunk. Jalen Brown ended up spiking it off the rim. And, uh, I mean, he didn't get the two points. But the rest of the way, though, Ennis Cantor was really just going right at him. And the overview of that game for the Bulls, I'm sort of working backwards here. Because I want I kind of want to talk about the win last. <laughs> I want to talk about the win last, you know. <laughs> but um, they lost to the Celtics. Because they really didn't have the weapons. And Boston had, what, six players in double figures? I got it in my notes. Yeah, they had, um, yeah, the Celtics had six players. It had six players in double figures in that ball game against the Bulls. They had Tatum had 21, Brown 19, Ennis Cantor had 15, Kimball Walker had 14. But you know what? Kimball Walker was on eight for most of the second half. He had six in the fourth quarter. And then Marcus Smart added 12, and Grant Williams was hitting that uh, elbow jumper all night. He had 11 points himself. Gordon Hayward only had eight. So Boston just had so many weapons. Bulls really still didn't have the answer for guarding Jason Tatum like they did the last time when they played the Bulls, when they played the Celtics. Jason Tatum was just going right at the Bulls, and they just they didn't have the height. They didn't have a good height, height to speed matchup for him in that game. And Boston just rolled past the Bulls. Bulls did make it interesting down the stretch, had a good run. In the third quarter, came out of the gates firing in that third quarter against the Boston Celtics. It was really just a game of stops and scores. They had eight points in the paint in the second half. The first eight points of the second half were all in the paint. In the first two minutes and seven seconds, they had a 13-2 run, including an 11-0 run. 
where they shot six of seven from the field to start the third in the first three three ten of the first half. But at the end of the day, when you take it on a team with like Boston that just has so many weapons, you sorely miss a guy like Wendell Carter that can protect the rim for you, but also you miss Otto Porter Jr., who it was announced Thursday, the same day Wendell had his ankle injury announced. Otto was out. He's out. We already know he's out with a foot fracture. MRI and CAT scan showed that he does have ongoing bone healing. Remember, the Bulls are trying to get him back either before or after. It's going to be sometime around the All-Star break here in Chicago. But the Bulls sorely miss having a three. And the thing is, they actually have guys that can play the three. And they have Chandler Hutchinson, who is sort of becoming, sort of becoming one of those guys that has potential, but he's also starting to get the injury bug. He's starting to get the injury-prone label because of how often he's hurt. I saw him fall in that game on Monday against Boston. It looked like he skinned his arm on the parquet floor. And I was thinking, oh, man, he, he was out with a shoulder. I hope he's not – like, I hope that that doesn't put him out for a few games. Luckily, there's been no word – luckily, there's been no word on that so far. And then also you've got Denzel Valentine, who throughout the week has had reports about him. Joe Cowley of Chicago Sun-Times reported that he's upset about his demotion. And I can totally understand why. I mean, the seven games in the calendar year, he's played three games. And I think, no, not I think, I know because I saw him. In the two of the three games he played, he got garbage time minutes. He got garbage time minutes against Boston on Monday. And in that game, he had five points on two of two shooting in two minutes played. So the, so the potential is there. Denzel can get out there and he can give you some minutes. In the third game, of course, he played against Utah. I think he got seven minutes, seven or eight minutes in that ball game. But they played him in a lot of like garbage minute, garbage time minutes roles, where he's really come out. And I saw, I saw a stat that said like in six of the twelve games he played, the last six of the last twelve games he's played, the Bulls have won. Like go out, give him those minutes. Go out there and give him those minutes. Or personally, I would like to see him at Windy City if Jim Boylan and the Bulls aren't going to use him. At the uh, on the on the NBA roster, why not send him to Windy City to keep his confidence, at least keep him active, so that way he can at least continue to like raise his stock, so that you can possibly do something. There's rumors that the Bulls would jump at the opportunity to trade Denzel Valentine if it presents itself, but I feel like his stock is getting hurt by sitting him on the bench. If you only play him when the game is out of reach, typically for the other team, because the two examples I named, Bulls lost to New Orleans, the Bulls lost to Boston. His stock is getting hurt. You're not going to be able to get anything really a, really of too much value in exchange for him if you sit him on the bench. I feel like sending him to Windy City gives you a chance to keep his confidence up. It gives you another chance to re-scout him and see how you could possibly use him. And Denzel has a Windy City appearance this season. He played on opening night against the Wisconsin Hurry. He had 25 points, 18 rebounds, and 8 assists. He just missed a triple-double. He can contribute to this team, and if you put him back in the rotation – you, I don't, you don't necessarily have to start him, but if you put him in a rotation, it sort of opens up the floor a little bit more because now you've got a guy that you have to honor as far as shooting the ball. He can score off the dribble, and on top of that, it really adds to the dimension on the floor because what the Bulls typically do is they have Zach Levine, and they play him at the two, and they play him, or they play him at the three with Chris Dunn at the two. And the thing is with Chris Dunn, he's not really a great outside shooter. He's been hitting him a little bit more as of late. He had the big game last week against New Orleans 
where I think he hit either three or four from three-pointer in that game at the Smoothie King Center. Uh, listen to last week's podcast. I said it. I, I had the exact stat in front of me last week when I said it. But I know he shot like six of ten, and he was hitting threes in that game against New Orleans. I think it was three for five or something like that. But anyway, Denzel Valentine, I think you can rely more on him as an outside shooter than you can maybe a Chris Dunn, and definitely more than you can with a Shaq Harrison who's good on defense. But most people that guard Shaq Harrison, they know, go ahead, shoot it. <laughs> they know to play him back. They know they don't really have to worry too much about his outside shot. And Valentine, if you put him on the court with Zach Levine, now you add the possibility of, okay, now you have three guys that they have to honor. Now, I know a lot of teams may look at Denzel Valentine and think, okay, he's not going to hurt us too much. But if he gets open looks, he can knock him down. You know, he's a little bit, like I said, he's more automatic than maybe Dunn or Harrison from three. And then it allows you to open up the floor for a guy like Zach Levine. It allows you to open up for a guy like Lowry Markkinen, who desperately needs some big performances himself. And it gives you another threat on the court. And while I'm on Lowry marketing, it's been the good Lowry, bad Lowry season as of late for him, man. Lowry's really been Lowry marketing has really just I, I I don't really know how to describe it. I said good Lowry, bad Lowry. He reminds me I'm gonna go to a football reference here. If you're a Chicago Bears fan, he reminds me of Rex Grossman, former Chicago Bears quarterback. When the Bears went to the Super Bowl for Super Bowl forty one, so that would have been oh six, oh seven. And where like he would have some games where he was a good game manager, he would do everything right. He would help the he help the Bears win. He would help the Bears win by not getting in the way. But then he would have games where he would be the reason that the Bears would be in tough games. And that's sort of what Lowry Markkinen has been this season. He's been like the reason why the Bulls have won some games. See, see the games he had against uh, Washington. See the game he had. Even though this was a loss, see the game he had against New Orleans? He was a reason why they were in that one. He had 26 points. He had a 31-19 against Washington back in December. But then he has games like he's had the last four where he's combined. He had 26 against New Orleans last Wednesday. He's combined for 48 in the next four, in the last four games since. So in the game since the New Orleans Pelicans matchup, he had 14, 11, 14, and 9 in those games. And he had he had nine la- on Monday against Boston. He had fourteen in the game against Detroit. The Bulls ended up winning, but even still, you would expect more out of Lowry Marketing, considering he's supposed to be your number two option. You have a number two option that's averaging fifteen a game, but then it, but then you don't know if he's gonna. <laughs> but then you don't know. If he's even gonna get ten shots, he's had three. He had two games. The last two games, he only had ten shots. Excuse me, he had in the last three games, he had nine against Indiana, nine shots against Indiana, eleven against Detroit, and nine against Boston. And I made a mistake. He had yeah, he had the he had fourteen against New Orleans. He had twenty six against Dallas. That's the game I'm mixing up. So he had the twenty six point game against Dallas, and then he had fourteen against New Orleans on eleven shots. After that, he had 11 against Indiana on nine shots. He had 14 against Detroit in a win, only 11 shots. And then he had nine points on nine shots against Boston. And I was watching the Bulls game against Boston, and I saw Will Perdue in the postgame show. He was talking about, you know, if you're Lowry Marketing, you've got to demand the basketball. And you know what? I think that's absolutely right. 
I know I could probably give him a pass for the Indiana game because that was the game where Zach Levine had 43 points. But at some point, if you're really going to take that next step and you're going to be either the star or a a star, if not the star, a star on this team, because I think Zach Levine is, quote, the star of the Bulls, you got to assert yourself. You got to assert your dominance on the court. You got to assert yourself. You got to say, hey, give me the ball, man. I'm open. I'm cutting back door. You got to hit me. And Laurie also falls into the trap where sometimes the best game he has is when he's going to the rim, much like Tomas Sadoransky. When they're going to the rim, they're very effective. But then they have games where they sort of just sit out the way and they watch Zach Levine or they watch the rest of the offense go as opposed to trying to get their own shot, which is good as a teammate. But sometimes when you got the high hand, you got to go. Much like with P.J. Dozier, what he did with Windy City, sometimes you gotta be you got to be the guy that calls the numbers. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm clicking right now. Give me the ball or give me the ball or, or give me the ball so I can score or give me the ball so I can get the ball to the guys that can score. That's more for Sato as far as getting the ball to guys that can score. But for Lowry, you got at some point, you got you to gotta say, hey, look, I need the ball, man. I got a mismatch. And I've seen a number of times where Lowry Marketing has had mismatches against guards and then he doesn't even get the ball. He's not calling for it. He's not waving so everybody can see him or whatever. He's got to do what he's got. He's got to make himself He's got to be more vocal so that the Bulls give him the basketball so he can he can be more beneficial to their offense moving forward. And that's something out of Lowry Market that I think he has regressed at. I think I thought the past few years he was he was good at getting the ball. I remember the game against Oklahoma City last year. I want to say it was like last December, where he hit the game winner. He's he's hey, I want the ball. He went to the basket, hit the lay, hit a spin move and a layup, got the game winning basket. That's the Lowry marketing that I was expecting to see this season. Now it's just been a bit of a roller coaster for Lowry. There's always been spe- speculation about could he be hurt. I mean, until that comes out, I, I just got to take it for. I got to take him as he's healthy. I think I until I hear any reports that he's just out with injury or he's got an injury that's holding him back. I just got to look at him like he's healthy, and I just really would like to see him be more assertive and call for the ball. Um call for the ball when he feels like he can do make be beneficial to the Bulls offense also in the game Monday Thaddeus Young had he replaced Wednesday's game against New Orleans as his best game as his best game in about a month he had 17 points 8 of 14 from the field against New Orleans excuse me against Boston uh the New Orleans game he, he had like 19 18 or 19 points on 7 of 16 shooting well, that's 17 against Boston. That was good. That was a very good game from Thad. He had at one point he had the Bulls only three in that game against the Celtics because that was a game the Bulls shot six of 25 from three. They shot one of 13 from three pointer in the first half. He had that one three. It was a left angle three against the Celtics, and I thought that was just going to the basket. There was a point in that second quarter, the Bulls had 23 points in the second quarter. They had like 14 in the paint, 10 of, and, they, and at one point it was like 10 straight. It was just that, getting the ball on the block and going to the basket. And that's what I like to see out of Thaddeus Young, just going to the rim, giving the Bulls an inside presence. And I would also like to see moving forward more of Thaddeus Young and Larry marking it on the court together, give Thad the ball in the post and let Larry work outside. The only thing is if Larry's shot not working, that inside-out game plan may not work. But at least with Thad, if he has games like he did against Boston, you can at least rely on him to get you those inside points while Wendell Carter is out. See, I think the Bulls, you got to remember, this Bulls team is more built for the inside out of Carter and marketing. And I think they got to keep it going. That's one thing about the Bulls. I don't think the Bulls really KYP. 
very well, know your personnel very well. They they just make a lot of mistakes that with the eye test you see and you like, oh, why why are you doing that? Like I remember against the game against Boston, a lot of pick and rolls. Like if the pick, they would try to run the pick and roll, if the if the roll man wasn't open, they would settle. I remember one possession, it was I think it was Zach and Thaddeus were running a high screen and roll from the right side. Thad rolled to the rim, but he got doubled. And Zach, another thing that that the Bulls really do that I don't like is they pick the ball up on the pick and roll. Like they pick the ball up, and you pretty much just taking away an option because now you can't put it down. You got to either shoot or you got to pass. So now you've taken away the possibility of even driving on the guy defending the pick and roll. So what happened, Zach picked the ball up. He thought about shooting it. Instead, he forced a cross-court cross court skip pass to the corner to Luke Cornette. And Cornette had to take – well, he didn't have to, but he took a contested three. And it's like that's very typical of the Bulls' offense. When the first option isn't there, they just say, you know what, we're just going to settle for this jump shot. We're going to settle for a contested jump shot. And I think they got to get out of the, they got to break some of those bad habits. Like bad habits like Kobe White being under the rim for a possible rebound. And then Jalen Brown runs from the baseline <laughs> and gets the offensive rebound and then draws a foul, ends up scoring as a result. Like just habits like that where, where they have, where they, it's like they think the play is already etched in stone. Like, all right, well, I'm the only one here, so I'm getting a rebound. It's like, no, you, you still got to battle for it. You got to do everything in your power to make sure you get the rebound. And I know I understand, you know, young team, you know, and I know some people are tired of hearing that young team, that young team excuse. And and that's sort of what that what that critique comes from. That comes from the that comes from the perspective of people tired of hearing the young team critique. It's for you're 41 games into the season. You can't really rely on that anymore. You really got to start showing some progress. You know, you're a young team, but yeah, you got to start showing some progress. This is supposed to be the year. Where the, move, where the Bulls move forward, yet they still have so many like early season mistakes that you see on this team. But it's not all bad. Like the game against the last few games, they've really done a good job of working the ball inside. They did a good job of that against Detroit. They did a good job of that in the second half against Boston, but they got the win against Detroit, completing the, the season sweep against the Pistons. The only thing about the Bulls, though, seven of their 14 wins are against the Hawks and Pistons, four against Detroit, three against Atlanta. If only they could play the Hawks and Pistons 82 times. They'd be, be the best team in NBA history. But that's not how it works. Um, Andre Drummond got ejected in that game, and that also may have been a key reason why in that game they weren't afraid to try to work the ball inside against Detroit. Uh, 25 points out of Zach Levine in that ball game. Zach also had a good game night, uh, against Boston despite the uh, losing effort against the Celtics there. He had another – he had another – relatively uh, pretty good ball game. He had 30 points, five rebounds on nine of 18 shooting. I'm going to talk more about Zach in just a moment. But uh, really the standout in that game for the Bulls against Detroit was Luke Cornett, and I saw why he got the minutes against Boston. He had 15 points. He was shooting the outside shot. Bulls had five players in double figures, 11 of 13 for three-point land. They shot 31%. Now, and every time I watch the Bulls game, Kendall Gill has that. Kendall Gill, another fellow uh, former Illini, he has that um, stat that he always points out when the Bulls have a loss and they shoot bad from three. I think the stat is like 38%. I think the Bulls are like 2 and 17 or something like that when they shoot uh, 38%. This was one of the two. <laughs> they only had like two wins. They only have like two wins when they shoot below 38% from three. And the game against Detroit was the uh, the second win of that kind this year. Really a good effort, from, really good team effort from the Bulls was, was Zach Levine. 
and uh, Luke Cornett. Uh, Daniel Gafford ended up getting Andre Drummond ejected in a game because he had a layup and he sort of yelled in Andre Drummond's direction. And honestly, I didn't get why he got a double technical. I thought he was just yelling like how any other player would yell when he, he made the layup. He was like, ah, he was yelling at in Andre Drummond's direction. He was looking at him while he did it. But I don't think he was trying to yell at him. I thought he was just yelling because he thought he should have got an and one, which is what you would see a lot of a lot of players do in the NBA. And then Drummond threw the ball at him. That got Drummond ejected. Bulls had a big lead in that game, but once again, another another one of those things that you want to see the Bulls eliminate moving forward. Detroit's best player, arguably the best player, Andre Drummond, is gone, and he, he only had nine points and four rebounds. He gets ejected, and Detroit makes a run. They get back into the game, led by Derrick Rose. Uh, personally, I think a Chicago legend in Derrick Rose, 20 points, seven assists. Uh, Christian Wood has 17 points and four rebounds, 17 points, 14 rebounds, a, a former thorn in the side of the Windy City Bulls back when he played for the Wisconsin Herd in the um, Greensboro Swarm. So a guy that I'm familiar with on the court, I think he's got good potential in Detroit, in Christ, this Christian Wood, just a matter of him getting the minutes, and he's going to get them now with uh, Blake Griffin now being out for the season. And uh, the Bulls, Bulls gotta, gotta, they gotta learn to like stop teams' runs. They, it's like the Bulls sort of panic. They go into a bit of a panic mode when other teams get into runs. I, I mean, I could point at examples all season of that. I can look at the Toronto game they lost in December after Kobe White picked up an offensive foul, kicking out his legs. I can go back to opening night against, not opening night. I could go, actually, yeah, I could go back to opening night against the Charlotte Hornets when they had like a ten point lead. Charlotte came back and won. I could go back to the game against the Lakers in November. I can go back to the loss at Madison Square Garden to the Knicks. I can look at the game against Boston on Monday where Boston's finally got a strung together a few baskets and it sort of threw the Bulls off. And then, of course, the game Saturday against Detroit. Just Bulls just still falling into this panic mode. And this is and that, once again, I think falls on Jim Boylan where you know you got a team that struggles with stopping runs. It doesn't hurt to call the timeout and try to just settle the team down. I understand the whole send them out there and let them work through it routine that's something that a lot of coaches have done I know Phil Jackson used to do that but Phil Jackson had a championship team you got to realize who you have on your team you got a young team that's still figuring things out sometimes that young team label is it does work this is a situation where at at this point of the season they should be past that but at you got to be you got to have situational awareness on both sides and I think that's where Jim Boylan can really help the team by learning to call timeouts quicker. Say a team gets a 6-0, you got a 12-point lead, team gets a 6-0, wouldn't hurt to call a timeout to try to stop that 6-0 run and settle the team down, get you out of timeout play just so the, so your team can see the ball go into the basket and so they can they can regain the confidence that they had prior to the other team getting that quick little 6-0 run. Just one thing I would like to see with the Bulls as far as like the K, just some of the things I would like to see them work with with their KYP, know your personnel. Uh, the last game that they, well, the first game, but the last game we talk about the Bulls had the 116-105 loss at the hands of the Indiana Pacers. They'll see the Pacers again on January 29th, and the Pacers are expected to have Victor Oladipo for that game. So how about that? January 22nd, Zion returns for New Orleans against the Spurs. January 29th, Oladipo returns uh, for the Pacers against the Bulls. Bulls lost 116-105. Indiana, just too many weapons. And, I mean, down the stretch, Aaron Holiday hit that dagger three at the top of the key. But the real standout for me in that Bulls game, I mean, yeah, they lost to Indiana. And Indiana just has that inside-out attack going with Brogdon and now with Sabonis and Turner both back on the court. They're dominating. They're beating teams. They beat Philly again for the second time last night. 
beat Philadelphia back on New Year's Eve. But in both of those games, Philly didn't have Joel Embiid, who was out. Who was I think he was just out that first game. But this last game he had, he was out with torn hand ligament after that nasty dislocation he had against Oklahoma City. So Indiana, once again, took advantage of in, uh, Philadelphia not having Embiid and um, not having Embiid and now having Al Horford go at him with the combo of Al Horford and uh, Mike Scott, Emoji Man, as I call him, because he got the emoji tattoos. But the first time it was Al Horford and Kyle O'Quinn. But for Indiana against the Bulls, it was Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis for good reason. I mean, they were going right at the Bulls. Bulls, once again, didn't have Wendell Carter. Didn't have Wendell Carter, and Indiana took advantage of that team. And I, and that was actually the game where Gafford didn't start. Gafford came off the bench in that game. The Bulls started uh, Thaddeus Young. But Indiana just took advantage of the fact that there was no Wendell Carter. Indiana also just had more weapons, and they ended up beating the Bulls in that ball game. And I hate to say this, but as expected, ended up beating the Bulls in that game because they've now beaten the Bulls twice this season. Miles Turner had 27 points, 14 rebounds. Uh, Sabonis actually didn't even play in that game against the Bulls. But he, but they had Miles Turner, and they had T.J. Warren, who had 17 points. Aaron Holiday had 19 off the bench. Koko Bitadza, who ended up playing the next night for Fort Wayne, ended up um, he ended up playing in that game. Had four points in 14 minutes. So without Sabonis and without without Brogdon, Indiana ended up beating the Bulls with Miles Turner, T.J. Warren, and Aaron Holiday. So it's trickling down to that second unit for Indiana. With that um, with that play that they have, with the inside-out game that they typically have with Brogdon and Sabonis, even though Brogdon didn't play in the Bulls game, neither did Sabonis, but they had Miles Turner to go to work, 27 points, 14 rebounds, and they ended up beating the Bulls. But the real standout for me in that game for the Bulls was uh, Zach Levine. Zach Levine, 43 points, 6 rebounds, 14 to 23, 60% shooting for that, 40, for that 43 points. And he's really making a case. For the All-Star team, I know I remember on my show, students of the game about a month ago. I said I don't think he's, I don't think he's an All-Star unless he goes on a bit on a bit of a tear, and he's been going on one as of late. I mean, Zach had, he's had uh, 10 30-point performances this season, two 40-point performances, including the one against Indiana. The other was the miraculous 49-point performance he had against Charlotte, where he had 13 threes and leading the Bulls to a game that they possibly should have lost. And I think he's really pushing for an All-Star appearance and. I would love to see him at All-Star Weekend make make history, possibly play in the dunk contest, possibly participate in the dunk contest, and then be in the All-Star game as the Bulls' lone representative since the All-Star game is in Chicago for the first time in my lifetime, and as you all know, since 1988. Uh, last season, Zach only 63 games. played. He, he's played all 41 this year for the Bulls, averaging 24, 24 points, which is up, which is up .8. 4.6 rebounds, which is down 0.1, and 4 assists exactly, which is down 0.5. His shooting, however, has gone up from the field, 46 from the field. Three-point shooting down from 39 to 37. His free throw is dead even at 83. Like, literally to the literally to the decimal, 83-2. <laughs> 83-2, 83.2 at the free throw line this season for Zach Levine. So, he's even, I really think he deserves it. I think he, he deserves a look. It'll be tough for him to get in in the East because of the guards. I mean, Kyrie Irving is likely, despite the fact he's been out, he's likely still going to get voted in. Because I, I look at the All-Star voting, and he's, his name is always near the top. Trey Young Trey Young is probably going to be there as well. It's going to probably be, if I looked at it now, I think it's going to be Trey Young. 
think we're looking at a Trey Young, Kyrie all-star backcourt, even despite Kyrie's injury. Uh, Kimball Walker should definitely be there for Boston, even though he he didn't didn't play that well against the Bulls in the game on Monday. That's just one bad game. And then I think Bradley Beal should be there. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is going to get some looks. And, yeah, I think, yeah, Din, Trey Young, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Kimball Walker, Spencer Dinwiddie's probably going to get some looks. Kyle Lowry's probably going to get votes because he's in Toronto, and he's also still very good. I think Jalen Brown's going to get some looks. It's really going to be tough to see Zach get in, to see T Zach Levine get into the All-Star game. But I really think he's got a shot. I think he has a legit chance. He's really improving his game as of late, really starting to use his teammates a little bit more. He's really starting to be more of a facilitator. And he's still, he still I, 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 all along, I thought he was the closer for this team. I thought he was the guy. And he's really trying to improve on getting other players involved. But there's still a lot more room for him to grow. You know, like sometimes, like games like he had against New Orleans last week where he was the man with, with the high hand. And then, yeah, I don't, I don't remember him touching the ball after he had two threes. They got the Bulls back with the nine. You know, you got to sort of be that, be that vocal leader in the locker room. And you, you still look for him to do that. You look for him to sort of improve his assist numbers, which he had, he, his assist numbers have dropped. But as of late, he's done a good job of finding teammates, making the pass. You like to see him in the pick and roll be, be a little bit more aware of situations. He doesn't have to pick the ball up when the pick and roll isn't there because he takes away his ability to drive, which is something that a lot of people have a hard time stopping him at, driving to the basket. So for Zach Levine, in terms of him improving, there's still room to grow, but I really think he has a shot at making the All-Star team, and we'll see how it works out. I mean, the All-Star starters will be announced, I believe, in a couple of weeks from tomorrow, so that will be the 30th, I believe, and then they'll announce the reserves. After that, maybe he'll be one of those, and also I'd like to see him in the dunk contest. And, of course, the rumor is he only wants to participate if he's going to be an All-Star. So, I'm hope, as a fan, I'm hoping he gets in so I can see him in the All -Star, in the dunk contest as well. Because he's been throwing down. He had the alley-oop over uh, Vincent Poirier of Boston on Monday. And then he had the breakaway dunk. It's just fun watching Zach Levine in the open floor. I would love to see him in the dunk contest again. Trying to defend that crown that I don't believe he actually lost. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember him actually losing it because he had the... Um, he had, the, he had the ACL. He had the ACL injury in Minnesota. So I'd love to see him get right back in the dunk contest. If we can get a rematch of him versus Aaron Gordon, I would love to see that. And if I'm being all the way honest, I thought Aaron Gordon won that dunk contest. I know Zach Levine is a bull now. But I thought Zach Levine, I thought Aaron Gordon won that dunk contest in uh, 2016 in Toronto. I thought Aaron Gordon, I mean, he sat down in the air, man. <laughs> the dude sat down in the air. And and I know Zach has some amazing dunks, but I felt like the two long free throw line takeoff dunks he had were sort of the same dunk. I was like, all right, I was like, you kind of already did that. I mean, I think he wrapped it around his back one time, and then the other time he windmilled it. And I was like, you kind of already did that, man. I felt I felt like Aaron Gordon should have won that dunk contest personally, but I would love to see a rematch of those two, and then maybe Zach go back, go out there and try to defend that, win that crown back that he never actually lost to anybody. He lost it due to injury. All right, um, I'm going to wrap up the show here. The Bulls coming up. They got five games in the next week. I got a lot of basketball to watch. Luckily, there are no Windy City games at home for me to cover, so I can 
So I don't have to worry about getting to rushing to the arena to see to you know get ready for those games. I don't have to worry about doing my extended preparation for for game notes, you know, for little extra factoids, you know, extra little small see like when it, when I'm on the like I do a lot of things in my free time, but I really dig for like small nuggets when I get on the air for games so I can hit you like one nugget over the head that you never saw coming. <laughs> like, you know, I don't have to worry about trying to do that this week. Since Windy City's on the road against Lakeland and Erie. Uh, Chicago tonight takes on the Washington Wizards, the 13-26 and 26 Wizards. The Bulls should beat the Wizards. They took them on last time in December, and that game went to overtime. Bulls needed overtime and some foul help in order to win that game. Friday, the Bulls will be on ESPN against the Sixers, who will be without Joel Embiid, who's out one to two. Well, actually, not even out one to two weeks. He'll be reevaluated in one to two weeks, and there's no telling how long he'll be out with that torn hand ligament. He had surgery to repair after he dislocated his finger against Oklahoma City last Monday. Uh, they didn't announce that he was out until Friday. Otherwise, I would have covered that last month, last week. Uh, Bulls also take on the Cavaliers, who just got swept in L.A. The Cavaliers are 12-28. and 28. Cavaliers also had the issue with John Beeline last week where he said he called his players thugs. I remember talking about that on the show last week. And that situation sort of sort of just kind of went away. He, he finally admitted to saying he said thugs. He, thought, he said he tried to say slugs, but then he finally admitted to saying thugs. And he apologized for that. Uh, New Year's Day, the Bulls take on the Bucks. Bucks are looking to complete the sweep against the Bulls. The Bulls just swept the Pistons uh, on Saturday. Actually, the Bulls got swept by Detroit last week. This this last season, this season, they sweep, sweep Detroit for nothing in the season series. Now they try to avoid one against Milwaukee. And then on, on um, next Wednesday, they'll take on the Minnesota Timberwolves at 15 and 24. That will be at the United Center Bulls with three home games. And actually. I think the Bulls could possibly come out of their 3-2. and two. I would like to see the Bulls go 3-2, and two, possibly beat the Wizards, Cavs, and T-Wolves. They actually kind of owe the Cavs one because they lost to them earlier this season. Have a chance to beat Minnesota, who has some good young talent with Andrew Wiggins, and of course, with the way Andrew Wiggins has been playing this season. But um, I think that's a game that the Bulls could possibly end up winning if they are at if they have the full strength that they have in terms of full strength, excluding Wendell and Otto Porter, of course going forward and then even without Embiid it'll be tough for them to beat Philly but I think they have a shot because Philly no longer has the inside out presence that they would have with Horford and Embiid and of course Ben Simmons I mean not really trying to shoot beyond 15 feet so that could be helpful on defense and then Milwaukee going to be a tough matchup expect the Bucks to pull that one out hey, actually expect them to lose to Philly as well both of those games Philly and Milwaukee are on the road I expect the Bulls to go three and two so we'll see how they do and maybe and I'm still looking for that signature win. Maybe this is the week the Bulls can get that signature win against, I mean, maybe against Milwaukee. Try to get a signature division win against Milwaukee. I mean, Philly without Embiid, I don't, I don't, I don't really like counting wins against teams that are high in the standings without their stars as signature wins. But if they get that one, I mean, you could throw that in, throw that one in there with the asterisk pile with the Clippers, and we'll see how that goes. Um, I'll be back next week with another edition of the Windy City Hoops podcast. I'm still de- I'm still debating on when I'll record because once again the Timberwolves game is Wednesday. I might I might record Wednesday afternoon as well. I really like the afternoon recording. You can get some news broken down and then also I don't really want to cover five games for the podcast next week. But we'll see how that goes. Be on the lookout for the Windy City Hoops podcast next week. Also be on the lookout for my show Students of the Game, which comes on seven to nine PM on Chicagoland Sports Radio.com and on the Chicagoland Sports Radio.com Facebook page. 
with my my tag team partners, Dr. Joseph Gregory. That's what we call ourselves, the doctors. Uh, Joseph Gregory and Justin Adams on the show. Uh, we'll be talking about everything in sports. We'll be talking football. We'll be talking NBA. We'll be talking. I'm sure we're going to be talking Bulls because it's Chicago Land Sports Radio. Dot com. Follow me on Twitter at KingRouse21. Twitter and Instagram, KingRouse21, K-I-N-G-R-O-U-S-E 21. And with that, this has been another edition of the Windy City Hoops Podcast. Catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, wherever podcasts are heard. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Windy City Hoops Podcast. You all have a good one.